MPH Sports Podcast. Talk sport and property with sports people discussing their careers and how property played a part in it. Tammy Beaumont, welcome to Talk Sport and Property. How are you doing? Yeah, I'm good, thanks. How are you doing? I'm really good. Thank you so much for coming on Talk Sport and Property. It's good to see you. How was your cricket tour? How was your travel? All okay? Yeah, it was really good. It was great to get out in New Zealand, especially at the minute, you know, coffee shops out there are open and um, yeah, restaurants and everything. So it was a little bit like normal life after we did our our 14 day hotel quarantine. So it was actually a really lovely tour to kind of be a part of as well as the cricket. And obviously the cricket cricket went quite well. We won both series, which is great. So yeah, it was a nice little getaway this winter, which I guess a few people might be jealous of. Well, that's what we were just talking about. Yeah. So I'm looking at Tammy now. She's got a nice sort of glowing tan, healthy tan. I'm as pasty as a whiteboard behind me. So yes, we're very jealous and lovely pictures, but glad you had a nice healthy trip. So you may have listened to the podcast before. We're going to break this down into two halves. The first half, we're going to talk about you and your career. And then the second half, we're going to talk about property. So let's start with your career stats, and they are super impressive. So Tammy, born in Kent, nearly 6,000 career runs, 150 international England caps, England's and Kent's opening batswoman and wicketkeeper. So what age did Tammy fall in love with cricket, and where did it all start for you? Well, I was probably about six, maybe. So my, my older brother and dad, pretty much if we wanted to see dad at the weekend, we had to go to the local cricket club because um, he was playing kind of any chance he got. And my brother started playing when he's obviously older than me. And I remember actually going to, my brother was doing a summer camp, a coaching summer camp, but he was joining in and uh, the coach said, oh, we're a few numbers short. Do you want to stay, Tammy? And I knew we were going and doing like a really boring, like, food shop with mum and then like crawling around all the shops and stuff so I was like yeah I don't want to do the shopping I want to go uh, I want to play cricket so I think it was like a three or four day camp and the next day like I chose to stay again and again and pretty much after that yeah I was just fell in love with the game and yeah never looked back. So you signed for Kent you made your career debut back in early 2007 batting at number five and a couple of months later you were chosen as your county's first choice wicketkeeper how old were you back then and how did it feel to make your to make your debut yeah so I was I think I was 15 or 16 maybe um probably 16 and um at the time there was you know there was Charlotte Edwards who was pretty much the biggest legend in England women's cricket at the time, Lydia Greenway and a woman called Emily Drum, who had won the World Cup as captain for New Zealand. And so it was pretty daunting to, to walk into that team at that time. But it was an amazing experience. I remember actually Charlotte Edwardson was out for most of the season with a knee operation. So it was almost like I was taking like her spot. So it was pressure off a little bit. And it was just a really great team environment to be a part of. And yeah, it was just great to kind of step in and, you know, perform a little bit in my first season. And yeah, it was great to kind of put the horse on because I'd always played for Kent, you know, under 11s, 13s, 15s. So to, yeah, play for the senior side was a really great thing. So you must have been still at school. Oh, yeah, yeah. I was still at oh school. Oh, my God. But we back then, it was, well, was, county cricket is still not professional for women. So you just sort of turned up on a Sunday and played. My mum actually ended up being the manager one year because the manager unfortunately had like a long illness. So my mum stepped up because she was used to running the junior section at my club. So yeah, she was in charge and we used to actually go down to Taunton. We'd play like three games 
during the season and then go for a festival for three days down in Taunton. And um, yeah, I remember my mum taking the laundry and going to get the laundry done of everyone's whites. And um, yeah, it was a crazy three days just down in Taunton, like playing back-to-back games, which just wouldn't happen now because they just know about recovery and everything. And there's just like an injury waiting to happen. But back then it was a great experience. Oh my God, that's that's amazing. Well, later that summer, you were named in the Indian Development Squad for the European Championships. Tell me, how was that experience for you? And, and how do you think that contributed towards your career so far? Yeah, it was actually a really crazy sort of six months. I remember getting picked for Kent and then there's a thing called the Super Fours back then, which was slightly mm-hmm. more a selective sort of process and a step up in terms of standard. And it was kind of where they picked the England team from and England Academy from. So to get invited to that was a real shock from only making my debut a couple of months, well, a month before probably. And then by the end of the season, I went off with like England under 21s to to Holland and we played against an actual, the senior Holland team, the senior Scotland and Ireland teams. And yeah, it was just a great experience. I met actually probably seven or eight of the girls that I've played with throughout my career. So the likes of Danny Wyatt, Georgia Elwes, Anya Shrubsole, Kate Cross, uh, Daniel Hazel, like all these girls went on to play for England and we were all on that same trip, all around the same age, sort of 15, 16, 17. Yeah, so it was just a really crazy experience that kind of bonded us in a way that, you know, you know that we've gone from all the way there to World Cup winners. So yeah, it's crazy. Yeah, crazy. don't talk about that World Cup just yet. We're getting there. We're getting there. <laughs> <laughs> you continue to show your progression for Kent throughout 2008 and 2009, scoring your first maiden century with 136 off only 144 balls to, to help you set up that win against Surrey. I mean, what a fantastic feeling that must have been to have achieved. I mean, that is, that is, that's incredible. 136 of 144 balls. Yeah, I remember that quite well, actually, because I remember at the beginning of that season, I'd been kind of in and around the England Academy setup for a while. And then I got left out of a series to play against the touring team, which was, I think, Pakistan at the time. And I was obviously gutted, but it was like my A-levels and I just turned 18 and I sort of have had a bit of like, well, if I'm not in the academy, I'll have a bit of fun and, you know, like cricket week and, you know, going out, having a few nights out on a Saturday and stuff. So I just kind of think it relaxed me quite a lot. And then I obviously just performed quite well for Kent. And I think the week after that was actually a different England Academy under 21s thing that I'd been selected for. So it was like a crazy week where I'd like the week before my dad had told me off for not taking cricket seriously enough and then um, I'd performed quite well on the weekend but that's not an excuse to tell people how to do it and go out and enjoy and get drunk and stuff and then play no it was good good little time so you just remind me of I tell my son um, Jamie who's at QPR I tell him all the time you're not taking it seriously enough you're not taking it seriously enough so yeah we're just we're just parents we just care that's all it is we just want you to do well I think I took it seriously and I did all the training and everything but at the same time it's all about balance and you know I wasn't doing it the night before that game or anything like that but it was maybe like the the week before a few days out you know when there's opportunity I think you've got to take it particularly at sort of 18 years old you've got to still experience life as well as um just sport yeah no 100% the following month you were recognized by the senior England squad by being invited to join them for the the tour of the West Indies do you remember your England debut yeah, I do, roughly, parts of it, not all of it. So, yeah, it was kind of in the West Indies, which I think is a pretty amazing place to to make your debut. And I remember getting told that I was going to go on that tour. And again, it was obviously, I'd not been picked to play against Pakistan for England Academy and then done quite well in the under-21 stuff. And at the end of that week, the coach kind of came up to me and he said, 
how do you think you've played this week? And I said, oh, oh, I think I was all right, you know, did okay. And he went, well, actually, we want to take you to the West Indies next month. Sarah Taylor, the first choice keeper, was injured. So it's a really good opportunity for you to come and play some games. And at the time, the the team, like they hadn't had a, de- a debutant in quite a while. They'd had a really settled squad that actually won both the 50 over World Cup and the T20 World Cup and uh-huh. the Ashes all in the year before this tour. So they were like world beaters. And I was 18 years old, sort of stepping into this team that had been so settled, best mates, travelled the world together. Um, so yeah, it was actually really daunting, quite a daunting experience, but absolutely loved it. Realised I was nowhere near good enough for international cricket yet on that tour, but it certainly was a real good taste of kind of what was it, what it was about. But yeah, I remember walking out to bat and I think we actually lost that game. But yeah, I walked out to bat, I think at number eight and we didn't have much chance, but I kind of gave it a bit of a go and I ended up being not out of the end, but we, we didn't win, unfortunately. Yeah, but what did that do for your confidence? I mean, even at 18, 19, that must have been awesome. Yeah, I think it was a real crazy few months because obviously I started university like the month before we went and it was strange kind of starting university as, and I knew I was an England cricketer. I remember like moving in my cricket bag into my halls and some one of their fresher helpers was like, you play cricket? And then I was like, yeah, yeah, play cricket for England. And so like that kind of really changed your identity from just, oh yeah, I play cricket to, yeah, I'm an England cricketer. Like I've played for England. And yeah, I think it really did kind of quickly become part of my identity and part of who I wanted to be. And yeah, certainly affected that kind of time at university as well. Yeah, but which university did you go to? Loughborough University, sports sports centre of the UK. Um, What can I say? But I think you quite quickly learnt at Loughborough. It was a very special place. I remember in halls, it's like a corridor of like maybe eight people and you you meet them on the first day and they're like, what sport do you do? And I'm like, oh, I play cricket for England. And they were like, oh, I'm under 18 GB triathlon or I'm England netball under 21s. I'm... (laughs) GB shot put under 21s like literally every single person was you know a, a quite a good athlete you know um, I, so hope that, I hope it helps you keep you disciplined as well doesn't it because you see all these other sort of stars around you I think so I also think it kind of you get that balance right of yeah knowing you know the athlete side of things and also the social side of things because there were some people that also didn't weren't there for the sport and did enjoy themselves so yeah it was it was a really good time I really enjoyed it so well in April 2014 you were one of the first 18 women cricketers to be awarded Central England contracts by the England and Wales Cricket Board I was really intrigued to know more about this process and and what sort of financial security it it gave you and, and also just for for how long really Yes, I think before that, it'd been quite quite difficult financially. I think obviously I'd been at university, so I was kind of okay with loans and parents and everything like that. But you would kind of go on, if you went on a tour, you would get tour fees and match fees. And as a student, that was quite nice to get sort of a little lump sum at the end of the month to then have for that term or whatever. But I can imagine that if I wasn't a student and actually outside of the game which a lot of the girls were they were having to work other jobs and then try and get their training sorted around that and you know it must have been really stressful for all those girls I think I only had about six months of that (laughs) which was quite useful for me yeah when the when the contracts came along it was a real real bonus I think because it meant that you know two two days a week we were in as a team all together and not having to do it at weekends and around kind of work commitments 
I think people think we were suddenly on an awful lot of money a year, which was not the case. I actually still had to work two days a week alongside that, but it was just nice to sort of be part-time and know that those days were for work and other days were for training. But yeah, it's certainly changed a lot since then. So in 2014, was that the first time they introduced this? Yeah, so before that, it was just like I said, the match fees and the tour fees. And I think a little bit of lottery funding. I remember getting like something like £150 a month or something at some point from lottery funding. But yeah, I think, yeah, once that changed, it it became good and bad in some way that the press suddenly, you know, their full-time professionals and the kind of scrutiny that you got from the press if you weren't performing was definitely a lot more because before that we were obviously not not professional. Um, so they kind of would let off a few things, whereas it, it shifted almost overnight, whereas actually... Becoming a professional does take time, but on the flip side, it was great that we had that sort of security. And, you know, I think a few of the girls moved out from home and didn't have to live with mum and dad anymore. Tell me, I want to take you back to that special year in 2017 where you made history on more than one occasion. So look, let's let's start with oh, you winning the World Cup. Would you mind sort of talking us through that sort of build up ahead of, you know, the 24th of June? And were you favourites for the for the tournament back then? That's a good question. I think, I think we'd actually been given the favourites tag just because it was a home World Cup and we were sort of up there challenging with some of the best teams. But I remember in every interview, we tried to play down the fact that we definitely weren't favourites. And actually looking back, I think we probably were kind of, we were up there in and about, but we weren't proven really. We'd had a new coach come in in sort of April 2016 and we'd done well since then. But actually the teams we'd played, we played Pakistan, Sri Lanka, West Indies, who were all kind of ranked fifth and down in the world. And we'd done really well. But, you know, we hadn't played the likes of South Africa, India, Australia, New Zealand. And we hadn't really been tested. And particularly as a group of players, there was really only a few players that were you know, picked every game regulars before this new coach came in. You know, I'd probably been out of the team for about 18 months before that. And there was a number of girls that were the same. So, yeah, he really kind of turned turned a lot of careers around. But kind of going into that World Cup, I'd gone really well the summer before, but it was a bit of like, well, how are these girls going to do with the pressure of a World Cup? And how how is it going to go? And are we going to actually be good enough? So even though I think the press were trying to say we were favourites, I think we definitely didn't feel that way. Well, it was the 11th World Cup to take place, the third time in England. Would you mind taking us through, sort of round by round, your success through to the through to the final? Yeah, so I think the, the favourites tag quickly got thrown away when we actually lost the opening game to India. Uh, <laughs> we yeah, yeah, we took, took them on at Derby and I think they'd come through the qualifying system. So they were sort of fifth in the world at the time and we were sort of up there second. So everyone just expected us to win. But they completely outplayed us that day. I don't know, maybe we had a bit of nerves around and we didn't really play the way that we had had been. So that was a real big learning curve. And actually, we had some really good conversations after that game about, you know, we need to stick to what we've been doing really well for 12 months and not go backwards. And if it doesn't work, it doesn't work. But we've got to kind of just keep going. So, yeah, we quickly turned it around. I think we then played Pakistan at Leicester and Nat Siva got her first international 100 I think Heather got 100 as well and we powered on about 300. I think we actually it actually got rain affected in the second half but we won the game on Dartworth Lewis which is a crazy cricketing stat thing that works quite well when it rains because we're fair weather sports people. 
Then we took on Sri Lanka down at Taunton and again won quite convincingly. Sarah Taylor, who'd just come back from a year off with anxiety, got her first 50 back after having that year off. So it was really good to kind of get her settled again, which I think was really good, really important. There was like this great, she's a massive personality in cricket. You know, she's got, well, probably millions of followers on on social media. So there's an awful lot of eyes on her and pressure on her. So for her to kind of break that quite quickly was a big thing. And then I think at that point, I hadn't really scored any runs and I was getting a bit twitchy. I was like, this is not how I want to, how I want my World Cup to go. And stuff like that so I think we um we then went to play South Africa at Bristol and that's where it kind of turned around for me Sarah and me put on a really big partnership and we got 300 and something overall and yeah beat them quite convincingly and then we kind of had the the big uh, a couple of big games to finish we had I think we played New Zealand next back to Derby where we'd lost the first game and we made a bit of a mess of it at first. We were three down for not many, but then Nat Siver and I put on a big partnership. Nat got another 100, which was really great to watch. I missed out, got out in the 90s, which my dad would have killed me for. Yeah, and then I think we had Australia was the big one when we beat them by three runs. I think at that point, that was when we kind of felt that we had a chance of winning because to beat the holders of the World Cup, you know, the fully professional team that, you know, quite um, happy to shout that they're number one in the world I think when we beat them we really got a lot of confidence it wasn't our best performance but I think we just absolutely fought it out yeah beat them by three in the end and then yeah a win against West Indies meant we were um, top of the group I think in the stadiums was there many people there was there sort of hundreds or thousands or tens of thousands yeah there was thousands I think so the way England do it is they tend to put us at slightly smaller grounds. So you end up with a, a bigger atmosphere. So kind of Derby, Leicester, Taunton, Bristol, they were the venues. And then the final was at Lords. So I think at kind of all of them, like the max is about 5,000, maybe six. We got, we got a really good turnout in most places we went. Maybe not like full capacity, but certainly a lot of people. But then the final was just something else. I think Lords has got 26, 27,000 and it was sold out. Yeah, it was it was sold out before even. Well, I think it was like two three days before the final. It was fully sold out. Like you couldn't get tickets. So I, I used to sort of work at Lords in the summers on something called the MTC Young Cricketers Scheme. So every Test match, we'd have to go and work in the club shop as part of the thing. And you'd see people like queuing around the corner at eight o'clock in the morning when play doesn't start till eleven yeah. because there's a members area and they just like sprint to get the best seat in the members area. And basically there was people queuing around the corner for our final and we couldn't believe it. We were like, we never thought that would happen to us. And actually I've spoken to some people at Lords that they sort of were talking about how um, the champagne bar and all the bars are normally really busy at men's games because people sort of watch a bit and then go to the bar for an hour and sit out the back in the champagne bar. They barely took any money because everyone was just so busy watching the cricket. They didn't leave the stands. So not my problem, but it was pretty cool. To hear that. Well, I want to talk about your personal achievements here because you did make history alongside Sarah's Hager, as you mentioned, by setting the highest second wicket partnership ever in women's cricket history. But this was also the highest partnership for any wicket in women's World Cup history ever. I mean, I mean that's in, that's incredible. I mean, did you have that kind of target going into the tournament did, in the back of your mind? No, not at all. I think that's something that I think as a team, you always talk about getting big partnerships. And if you get a partnership, you make sure you extend it as long as possible. But you certainly don't go, 
that's the record. We're going to aim for that. And actually, Sarah is one of my best friends in cricket. So to share that with her, I think, was just brilliant. And it was really like we just love batting together. I just remember just laughing the whole time. And, and most of the time we don't even talk about anything cricket or we're talking in stupid voices and stuff like that. And we were just we were, it, we were just messing around. Like, that's what it felt like. We were having fun yeah. messing around and, yeah, just doing it for England. And, yeah, the, the more it went on, the more kind of fun it was. And, yeah, it was a crazy thing. And, yeah, hopefully it will never be beaten. <laughs> oh, I hope not. But, I mean, I mean, you were smashing it. I mean, during the same World Cup, you, along with Natalie, set the, the record fourth wicket partnership as well. I mean, that's just nuts. Yeah, it, looking back, it really is. So I think that game with Nat, we were 30 for three against New Zealand, which I don't know how many listeners know cricket, but that's pretty bad. Um, so... <laughs> The fact that I think what was so good about our team in that World Cup was, you know, Nat's coming in at five and she now she's one of the best players in the world. And to have that kind of depth, I think, is why we've won that World Cup. And the fact that, you know, we could go and put on, you know, all those runs and get us back in a winning position. And in the end, we had an absolutely massive score that, you know, they were never going to get just because of, yeah, what what a couple of people could do at the time. And I think that was, you know, part of why we won that World Cup is we had full belief in absolutely every single player on that pitch, changing the subject slightly. But in that game against Australia, we the top order really messed it up. And, you know, our number seven and number eight, Catherine Brunt and Jenny Gunn, they put on a partnership that, again, got us to a total that we could defend with the ball. And that I think that was what was so special about that group for that World Cup was just... Everyone knew what they were doing. Everyone knew their role so well and just ended up doing it and just allowing themselves to do it, which I don't think happens that often in in World Cup cricket. No, of course. I I want to just go back to the final uh, before we move on. You beat India at Lords, as you said, in front of a full capacity of 26,000 by nine runs. You're You're not only crowned World Cup champions, Tammy, but you were also personally voted as player of the tournament. And you mentioned earlier that you didn't score runs too early, but you ended up with an impressive 410. I mean, it's gone pretty perfect for you, isn't it? I mean, tell me more about that moment and how did you celebrate after? Did you find the champagne tent? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, we got given quite a lot of champagne. <laughs> yeah, what part did we do to first? I guess I remember, so we only won by nine, but for about six months after, I was convinced we won by about 30 runs. Oh, yeah. And it was only when someone actually sat me down and made me watch it back that I realised how close the game was. But my feeling as a player during the game was I was just like, oh, if we get another wicket, we're winning this game. We get another wicket, we're like, we're walking this game. Like India are not going to get close. And then when you actually watch it, it was nine runs. Like I, I couldn't believe it. I, I just had the strongest feeling that we were going to win. We were going to win from anywhere. And obviously, it's, I'm very glad we did. Um, <laughs> But yeah, I, I still, six months later, could I would have been like, oh, we won easy, what are you talking about? And my mum, dad, all the family are like, no, it was so close. It was horrible to watch. Like we thought India were going to walk it. And I was like, but anyway. So yeah, then after that, we were kind of all, a lot of people were quite emotional. And there was t- a lot of girls in tears. I was just ecstatic, smiling from ear to ear. And the manager came up and she said, oh, you need to go to the front of the queue because they're going to interview you first because you're a player of the tournament. And I was like, sorry, what? Yeah, yeah, you've scored the most runs. And as it turned out, the Indian captain, she got 409 runs and got run out. So if she'd have got the run that she got run out on, she probably would have been player of the tournament. So it was like that close, which is just crazy. But 
I think, yeah, I, I can't. I still can't quite believe that it was kind of me as player of the tournament, but it was certainly, yeah, made it extra special, particularly at home, home crowd and so many of my friends in the crowd and everything like that. Yeah, I couldn't quite believe it, but it was pretty cool going up to, to get the award. Well, we can't skip the question, how did you celebrate? <laughs> oh, sorry, I forgot that part. This is actually my favourite part of the story. Well, to be good, we're all listening. Um, yeah, so we obviously sung our song in the change room at Lords, which had always been the um, the kind of tagline for the whole year of practising. It was like, we're going to sing our song at Lords. And, they, you know, they, they actually brought in some snacks. It was really nice of them. But I think the captain ended up getting food poisoning from the chicken sticks. Um, so she actually had to go home early and didn't get to celebrate with us, which was pretty bad. But we crashed after party for the, the ICC, so the, the holders of the World Cup. We crashed there after party, drunk the bar pretty dry. We then headed back to our hotel. So it was a Sunday night in London, so it was hard to necessarily know where to go and not end up miles away. So we were all still in our kit, had medals round neck. I think some of the girls had just about managed to take their cricket spikes off. That was about it. Back to the hotel and across the road was like a chicken shop sort of thing, a diner. And I think I was one of the first back in the taxi. So um, I went in and I spent £130 on chicken nuggets, burgers and chips because I knew no one had eaten and like took it into our team room. And there was everyone there from like the media, friends, family, like they all turned up. So I swear I got like a quarter of a burger of £130 worth. I was fuming that I'd like I'd spent all that money and gotten like literally two bites of a burger but yeah the food just disappeared yeah late into the night I think someone else then bought like 20 pizzas later on at like 3am but yeah lots of lots of champagne lots of drinking and and um I think we actually got refused entry to a nightclub at about 3am somewhere because we were still in like baseball caps and not dressed smart enough we were like well we just won the world cup yeah who refuses that that's crazy <laughs> oh that sounds brilliant oh thank you for sharing that with us tammy your your success continued um, not only were you named in the icc women's one day international team of the year but you were also recognized by the award of an mbe in the queen's 2018 new year's honors list i mean how was the palace <laughs> yeah do you actually remember the week where it was like the beast from the east yeah i had to go to no. get my mbe was the week of the beast from the east and so at the time, my parents lived in America, in Boston, and obviously they're coming over for this event, obviously. obviously. Um, so the day before, they get told that their flight's been cancelled, but they if they can get... So they live in Boston, which is a six-hour drive to New York. They were like, if you can get to New York by tonight, you can fly from New York and we'll get you in. So honestly, mum had to just quickly shove stuff in the suitcase, get in the car and drive to New York. And dad was on the way trying to find a place to park and everything. Got on the plane, so they got... Manchester because he works there was getting the train train cancelled had to get like got a lift to somewhere else lift to Birmingham so we could get the train from Birmingham because it wasn't as bad a bit further south and I actually had training on the Thursday so I was planning on coming down on Thursday night so finally like my brother's there my mum and dad are there that's just about getting me down so I had to drive like literally 30 miles an hour on the M1 because two lanes are like covered in snow and then the other one's like just okay to drive in so yeah I think I got there pretty late but in the end yeah we drove into the palace you literally drive through the gates they check your car for all sorts but yeah it was, an, it was an absolutely amazing day it was actually really cold obviously so <laughs> I had my coat on the whole time but um it was yeah it was an amazing amazing experience I got Prince William so you don't know who you're getting before you turn up 
and actually they they put they separate you from your family so family go and sit down and watch everyone go through and we go into like a holding room with like some nice drinks and you learn to curtsy which is really important and you know I'm kind of the youngest there by probably 10 10 years maybe a bit more and you start talking to these people and the first three people I spoke to their stories were just amazing like it was you know one was helping with female women domestic violence victims another with child abuse charities and like all of these things and I was just like I play cricket (laughs) (laughs) I was like these people have done such amazing things for this country like set up charities done just these absolutely amazing things that have taken them years and quite rightly are finally being recognized for that and yeah I was like I just I'll just play cricket (laughs) like literally it was such a humbling experience no very very good experience and then yeah you go and meet Prince William who was he was very nice more of a football fan, obviously president of the FA. But yeah, he, he really supports women's football. So I let him off. I understood that uh, cricket's not for everyone. <laughs> oh, that's brilliant. What did he say to you? So they, I think they must get told little facts when they pick the medal up. Because he's like, oh, I hear you got 410 runs. I was like, yeah. And then uh, he was like, he kind of didn't really know if we'd won the World Cup. I was like, yeah, and we won the World Cup. He's like, oh, right, yeah, good. <laughs> um, but yeah, then we spoke a bit about football and things like that. So he was actually lovely. The, the woman before me was, she must have done something with a, well, a deaf charity. And she had a guide dog and took the dog with her. But she obviously hadn't heard like the how you're supposed to do it. So he when he shakes your hand, you're supposed to step back and then curtsy and then walk off. But she obviously didn't hear that so she just kind of shook his hand and then carried on standing there and instead of it being like a really awkward like security guard coming and removing her he just came back and like whispered to her like oh if you just want to go that way and yeah just leave that way now that'd be great Mm -hmm. and I just felt that was such a nice little thing to do and not make a scene because really only me and his staff would have seen that so yeah I thought I thought that was really sweet of him to be honest that's nice Tell me, 12 months later, it was time for the Evans Women's Tri-Nation Series. Another successful moment for you and England. Can you talk us through that? Yeah, it was a, a good summer. I think we had New Zealand and South Africa come over. And, I, yeah, I basically scored 300s in, in three games. Yeah, I think we'd, got, we'd gone 1-0 down against South Africa in, in the first, first game and had kind of two games to, to try and win the series. And there was a lot of talk. I was I, I always get my back up when people talk in the media about how, um, you know, South Africa's got the best bowling attack in the world and they're so much better than England. And yeah, they beat us in the first game. But then we came back and thrashed them in the next two. So it was like, that was kind of a little bit of extra motivation. I actually got another 100 with Sarah, a big partnership with her. So that was a lot of fun as well. And yeah, at the time I caught, kind of had gone really well in one day cricket and after the two games we swapped to t20 cricket and I'd never quite maybe nailed that format as much it's a lot more fast paced and certainly just more suited to batting for a long time in ODI cricket and um, yeah so to get my only t20 hundred that day was was just amazing and I think people talk about being in the zone and, and things like that as an athlete or kind of everything going your way and that was just absolutely my day. Like just everything I'd seemed to do just worked and everything I thought I just went and did and it just came off. And yeah, I think it's like the fastest hundred by an English woman still. So yeah, it was pretty cool. You were just born to smash cricket balls, weren't you really? <laughs> I want to talk to you about an ambassador role you took on back in 2014 for the charity Chance to Shine. Is, is that organisation still operational and how has that 
helped develop young cricketers in state schools across the UK? Yeah, so actually that was when the kind of professional contracts came in. Okay. Uh, the other two days a week, I actually worked for Chance of Shine as an ambassador, driving all over the country and going into schools and kind of delivering coaching coaching sessions, trying to get kids into cricket. And yeah, I think it's very much still active. We don't obviously have as much time anymore, but it was certainly a really good time to just kind of feel like you were giving back to the game. Basically what Chance to Shine does is it runs a few things, but its main aim was to get cricket back into state schools because it had basically died out. And actually as it evolved, it ended up being really more targeting girls. And obviously it it, um, it was really successful because I think 50% of all the children they reached were girls. So it's actually really changed the kind of how people see cricket as just a boys game it actually started to kind of get rid of rounders in schools and get girls playing cricket, which I think was, was just really good. Um, and yeah, they, st- I think they're, I'm sure they're still working now, but obviously schools haven't been quite as open and everything for the last year. But yeah, we always hoped that like one day a, a girl that had come from like a chance to shine school would make a debut for England. And I'm sure that's probably not too far away now. Yeah. Well, I hope so too. My daughter loves her cricket actually. Uh, and her and her best friends play at our local cricket club in Ryslip. And we love watching her and her friend Grace play cricket. But she, they came in the boys. And every match that they play, they are the only two girls that, that play. So that's why this particular part for me was really, I was really pleased to, to see what you do. And, and I hope it, it does continue because, you know, I think, you know, female, look at what you've achieved. If it wasn't for something like Chance to Shine, that may not have happened. You had a, your father as an influencer there in, in the beginning, but if you didn't have that, then hopefully a school could be another form of influencing young female talent to come through and represent our country for years to come. So, no, it's fantastic. Um, before we move on to the quick question fire round, I just want to proudly announce that only earlier this month, you overtook Meg Lanning to top the ICC player rankings for batters, meaning you are actually now the officially world's best batswoman, Tammy. <laughs> I mean, that's unbelievable. I mean, you must have thought about this moment at some point. And I'd love just to know when. When did you think, actually, I can, I'm there or thereabouts here? <laughs> actually, the thought came about long before I was anywhere near it, really. I remember, oh, it must have been, it might have been 2014, actually, where... I played in an Ashes series and played a, I played a match. And back then I was very much in and out of the team. Didn't really know where I stood. Would sort of play like two games, not perform. I think I'd never even got 50 in, in, in international cricket. And yeah, really kind of making my way. And I remember I was really close with the assistant coach at the time. Still am actually. He's no longer the assistant coach, but still really close to him. And I remember crying after the game. It was at Lords actually. And there was this bench, you get to the top tier of the pavilion just out from the change room. And I remember going out there to that bench and I just cried to him. I was like, am I even good enough to play international cricket? Like, what am I doing here? Like, I've messed it up again. Like, I'm going to get dropped next game. Like, all of these things. And we kind of took a bit of time after that. And I actually did get dropped next game. That was that was obvious. Um, but a few months after that, we, he was like, go away and think about what you want from cricket, where you want to get to where you are now and what you've got to do to get to where you want to be. And he was like, and I want you to like these goals, there's no limit on them. I want to know exactly what those goals are. And we sat down in, in a pub in Loughborough, actually. When I always walk past it, I always think about this conversation. I said, I want to be the best opening batter in the world. And at the time I was batting at six and like in and out of the team, barely in the team pretty much. 
And I remember being really embarrassing. I want to be the best opening batter in the world. Was this, uh, you know, just after a Jager bomb or something? You know? <laughs> no, no, it was 12 o'clock in the afternoon. It was Diet Cokes all around. <laughs> yeah, I remember saying that. And we were like, right, okay, well, what have you got to do to get there? And we like pretty much like, right, you've got to work on this, 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 and started working on it. And obviously then I kind of became England's opening batter and I became quite good at it. And I ended up in, you know, ICC ODI team of the year, I think two, three years running. And kind of a couple of years ago, I almost gave up on the whole like being number one in the world because I realised it meant that I was like looking at Meg Lanning, Schmitty Mandana, uh, Lizelle Lee, all these people I was sort of looking at going, well, well, I can't do that like her. I can't do that like her. And it was taking away the focus from, well, actually, what can I do and how can I be better? And I just thought, well, you know, I'm probably up there as one of the best opening batters in the world. That's pretty good. And then, yeah, when I got a text saying, just so you know, you're doing it. It was from our media manager. And he said, I know you've got an interview in five minutes. So I need to tell you this. You're getting announced as the best ODI, play, uh, ODI number one uh, ODI batter in the world. And I was like, sorry, what? Like, just came from nowhere. I actually think I might have been overtaken last week because there was another series in South Africa. It's a bit of a shame. <laughs> we'll cut that bit out. It will, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Never know. it's strange how the rankings work they almost like change every every time there's a series but it's like well I'm not playing now for two months so I can only go down but yeah when I play again I'll go back up and the people that it's like not quite consistent because I think we don't play enough cricket but mm. it gets there in the end it's about right <laughs> yes, I was really worried about interviewing you Tammy I know I'd asked you before and that was because we worked together recently but because I've never interviewed a cricketer before and my knowledge on cricket is very limited. But actually, when I was doing my research on you, I was thinking, oh my God, MBE, world's best batswoman, uh, <laughs> World Cup champion, tournament winner. I was thinking, I've got all day on this. This is brilliant. I could, <laughs> I could have so many more questions. Anyway, it's a privilege <laughs> to do you, Tammy Bowman. Oh, well, we can't end on a better question than that, can we? So, look, we're going to go into um, a 10-question quick round now. Um, you ready? Yep. Okay, number one, batting or wicket-keeping? Batting. Your favourite ground that you have played at? Oh, I've got a top three and I can never narrow it down. Adelaide Oval, Lords, and the third one is Newlands in South Africa. It's got the Table Mountain in the background. Oh, right, lovely. Your Best career highlight? <laughs> the way you're going to pick this. <laughs> I mean, yeah, the World Cup final, winning that and play the tournament's probably up there. Also did really enjoy scoring an Ashes 100 a couple of years ago. Awesome. Your role model growing up? Oh, great question. I was pretty boring. It would probably be my dad and my brother. I looked up, I idolised my brother. I started being a wicketkeeper because my brother was a wicketkeeper. And yeah, so I didn't really look at... I, I watched international cricket you know the 2005 ashes freddie flintoff all that lot but yeah my dad <laughs> would you coach or manage one day i think i would probably coach but maybe not quite full-time i think at the moment there's like new leagues coming out like the hundred where you could do it for like six weeks of the summer i think that'd be really good but i've always kind of imagined that i might get out of a tracksuit one day and start getting a lovely work wardrobe and actually at the minute i'm looking at setting up my own managing consultancy business in kind of wellness and stuff so hopefully that will take off <laughs> amazing your favorite country you have played cricket in oh so many i think new zealand's definitely up there it's just 
a beautiful place to to travel and and be around. I love Australia as well, but when you play there for England, it's like you're taking on the whole country and like everyone's against you. Whereas New Zealand, they're just very nice people. <laughs> so it's also a lovely place to play and nice cricket grounds and stuff like that. Your favourite other sport away from cricket? Ooh, I used to play hockey. I used to be a gymnast first before I was a cricketer. When I was four, I started gymnastics. Loved that. I actually wanted to be an Olympic gymnast before I wanted to be an international cricketer. Then played hockey in my teenage years and, and loved that as well. But now probably like watching rugby yeah. as the best, yeah. Yeah, is that because your partner's had that influence over you now? Yeah. Oh, I always I always liked watching rugby, but yeah, now I have to watch rugby, so I might <laughs> as well different. like it. <laughs> uh, do you have a nickname? I've kind of had loads of nicknames over the year, but, years, but none of them have really stuck. I mean, Tambo is kind of easy. What else? Oh, I got Hagrid when I was younger because I had ha- horrendous hair. Um, but I'm glad that one didn't really stick. <laughs> and oh, the other one was Little Mitts because I have quite tiny hands for a cricketer. <laughs> That's brilliant. So if you wasn't a cricketer, what do you think you would have been doing? I get asked this a lot and I honestly don't really have an answer because I remember being 11 years old and telling everyone I was going to play cricket for England so I've never really wanted to be anything else but I probably would be a scientist like my brother and dad are now that's pretty cool and what's the what's the next big goal for for you Tammy well 2022 is just an absolutely ridiculous year we've got the ashes which I would love to be part of a squad to win the ashes again we've got the world cup out in New Zealand so you know we'd love to win that back to back and then we've actually, women's cricket is going to be in the Commonwealth Games in Birmingham in the summer. So they're three pretty big ones that we're working towards. Awesome. Well, I'll tell you what, I wish you all the best with that. And that's the, that's wrapped up the first half of the pod. Talk Sport and Property Podcast, sponsored by MPH Sports Property Academy. Download the app today from the App Store or Google Play by typing in MPH Sports, the trusted go-to app for sports people looking to buy or learn about property. Tammy, welcome back. Look, we started talking about property after a property workshop that I did with the PTA back in I think sort of April May last year are workshops or webinars a common thing with the PTA yeah they are to an extent so as women's cricketers particularly with England we're away a lot in the winter but I know for a fact the PTA work really closely with all the men's county players so it's a little bit easier for them because they sort of they're playing April to or October and then they have sort of six months where they could actually really dedicate time to personal development, whereas we have to kind of sandwich it in a little bit easier. So we quite often miss a lot of the webinars. But yeah, certainly the PCA normally do quite a lot with the with the men, uh, the county men. So out of interest, what made you join our property workshop? I think um, it just sounded really interesting. I know a couple of my teammates had actually done a few kind of doer uppers and and made a bit of money off it. But I've never kind of been that creative in that sense and just wouldn't know where to start so yeah I just felt like it was something of interest that could just find out about and see whether I could actually do it or whether it was kind of still a bit too difficult for me. Yeah because I think after you'd obviously watched the workshop and I think you reached out via Instagram which a lot of people do and I love that because you know they'll go how high you know uh, just just enjoyed the workshop you just done uh, and then you and I then arranged our first Zoom which is obviously the, the common thing to do these days isn't it we then set your property company 
But if we just fast forward 10 months, I'm pleased to say that you are now a landlady, aren't you? How does it feel? Yeah, yeah I am. Um, it's great. And, you know, it was a pretty easy process, even during a pandemic. Um, but no, I think it's, it's great. It's kind of, yeah, it's all, it's all happened quite quickly, really. And I think at first it was knowing that, you know, you could do it quite easily. I think I always thought, thought you'd have to have like hundreds of thousands in the bank to kind of invest in a, in a property and actually yeah you completely disproved that and and found a way to to make it happen which is just really exciting and yeah now now I'm a landlady oh, it's great isn't it I mean did you think setting up a property company would be that simple before the workshop definitely not I thought yeah I thought you'd have to jump through an awful lot of hoops and all sorts of paperwork and and months of kind of wow. trying to do it and not at all not at all you know just knowing the right people and and getting it done is yeah it's been really simple I hope you don't mind me asking but how did you find the whole experience and the support of me and the team I don't think I'd have managed to do it without kind of the support of you and, and the team and it's just been so easy and so straightforward and you know there's a lot of things I did not understand a lot of terminology and yeah just making it really simple for me and yeah in particular kind of yeah, the work that you've done has just been so good and, and, and made it really easy. Oh, thank you. Well, look, to clarify to anyone listening to this, we found Tammy a really sort of modern two-bedroom house with parking, garden, in really good condition, wasn't it? Was it about like 82 grand or something, wasn't it? Yeah, 82 and a half. So, and a half. Real, real bargain. <laughs> it, was, it was, and it's a really lovely house, actually. A little cul-de-sac, good location. Do you mind me asking you, Tammy, how long did it take between completion so when the letting agent picked up the keys and how long it took to actually let and what sort of rent did you get? I think it's only been, so I completed less than two weeks ago and it's now rented out already. So yeah, um, yeah it's really not taken long at all. I think the lot, yeah, it took us, a, we had to just get the gas and electric certificates done and then the, the guy just moved in. I think it went live on the Friday and I had a load of viewings by sort of Tuesday, Wednesday and then someone wanted to move in a week later so it's been crazy I thought it would take longer than that to get someone in there but yeah they they love the property they work nearby and, and they needed to get somewhere to live so it was great perfect what what rent do you get and what is your mortgage yeah so I'm getting 600 pound a month and the mortgage is just under 170 mm-hmm. so yeah really good kind of 400 pounds profit which is just great really it's kind of more than I expected it to be and it's just been so simple to do Awesome. So the £170 a month or just under that you pay is interest only, isn't it? Can you remember the benefits why we encourage you to do interest only? Oh, great question. <laughs> <laughs> Need to go to your teaching for that one. It's just, it's the cheapest loan that you'll ever get. So that kind of means that, you know, you, you don't necessarily need to you can pay it off kind of when you when you sell it on or or as it goes down the line. And at the moment, it's just easiest to make that profit by just having the kind of easiest loan you can get. Yeah. Well, the whole point of it really is the fact that you are loaning your property company the money. So therefore, we would rather you pay yourself back the money in the form of a director's loan than the bank. And once you've paid yourself back, then you've got the freedom, because it doesn't owe you any money, to pay the bank back later on if you want to. So I worked out that you should actually have your total investment back within well, probably between sort of seven and 10 years. I mean, that's, that's fantastic, isn't it? For your first one, talk about sort of, you know, low risk. I mean, 
you bought it within two weeks it's been let you're getting over 400 pound a month of profit i mean i mean do you wish you had done this earlier in your career and, and do you mind me asking why you didn't if you had the money available yeah i think i probably do wish i'd looked into it a little bit earlier but at the same time i think kind of you know it's only six seven years ago that i got my first contract and that kind of available of the funds probably wasn't there back then I think it's only really the last three four years where that kind of financial investments really kind of ended up in the players pockets a little bit but um yeah I guess it, I wish yeah I think for young girls coming in now that are getting the contracts that um that you know we are seeing now I think you know at the age of 22 like get get involved in property because I think it just sets you up so nicely and just knowing now that you know, I'm, I'm 30 now, getting on a bit. Recently, you know, I, I think, from what I saw. It's... Yeah, birthday a couple of weeks ago. It's quite a big one. But, um, you know, if I want to retire in a couple of years' time and I can afford to get maybe get another one, another buy-to-let going by then, then, you know, you've got a little bit of kind of income coming in the future and it's not quite as stressful knowing that you've almost got to walk into another job straight away and and things like that just having that to fall back on definitely I think that you know if you've got ambition to set up your own nutrition company like you were talking about earlier which I think you're doing really really well at but there's going to be times where maybe the income from that isn't immediate and if you've got a couple of buyers to let's that give you a bit of a, an income that can cover a few bills in the meantime then it's just going to make that transition a bit a bit easier for you isn't it Tammy is property a common form of conversation around cricket clubs that you've played for or the England squad yeah I think it is I think everyone's kind of particularly at the England team you know we've gone from you know this basic level of contract to quite a, a really well we're really well supported now and for quite a while we were all sort of buying houses at the same point and now we've got a little bit of spare income it's you know what can we do with that and and people are kind of finding different ways you know some go for investment some like I said before a couple of my teammates have been doing you know doer uppers for for a number of years now so mm. yeah it's always kind of a conversation in in and around and I think we're quite a sensible group really quite a lot of us in that we realise this income probably isn't forever, so we've got to make the most of it and and not kind of waste the opportunity to make more with your money. That's really good advice. Tell me, you are a homeowner as well. When did you buy your first home and how did you find the process back then? Yeah, so I've had this house for, well, it'll be coming up for three years now. Mm-hmm. I actually used, so we, we got a World Cup prize money fee and that was my deposit well part of my deposit so before that it hadn't really been on the radar was kind of I hadn't quite got enough saved or anything like that so that really kick-started that and um, I actually bought a new build so kind of not being in a chain was quite nice for the first time and yeah it was quite a nice thing to see I think particularly when I saw it was like a shell and seeing it being built and new layers added every kind of week was really nice and I think because of that, it made it quite an easy process because yeah. obviously the builders had kind of all the people to go to. A lot like working with yourself, really. Like you've got the team around you just to, you know, you give me their phone number, their email, and I've set up whatever I need to set up. So, yeah, I found it quite quite good, really. I guess it was just uncomplicated, wasn't it, really, I guess. And it's new and it's, it's exciting. You're still living there now? Yeah, I'm still living there now. Still very much not painted many of the walls <laughs> or done any of it up. But yeah, I think for a first home, it's been really good and already kind of dreaming of what we're going to move on to next and start thinking about what you want bigger and better and what styles you like and things like that. Really Amazing. Would you say the property is quite 
excitable, but maybe a bit daunting from a, just from a professional sports person perspective, really. Yeah, I think so. I think being an athlete as well, it, it made, you know, I only had a choice of two mortgage providers when I bought this house. And also you have kind of uh, now our contracts are 12 months only. So, you know, how can you prove that you're going to have that income for the next 10 years? Well, you kind of can't. So it is quite daunting in that, you know, I think you do have to get quite a lot of run through a little bit of red tape and things like that just to get it right, particularly as an athlete. So yeah, I do think I think it's quite daunting to begin with, but at the same time, it's actually not as difficult as I think you think before you've done it. Yeah, I think knowledge is really important. I, I recently spoke to the director of cricket at Kent Cricket Club, who was keen to explore me to come in, uh, see the squad and provide this property workshop that we do, uh, just to help encourage other cricketers like you to consider parking their money in property and, and, and learn more about investment. I mean, I've, I've got to ask you, um, how do I meet the female squad as well? Um yeah so it's a tough one with um i think women's cricket's like very run very differently to to men's cricket and so all my kent teammates are not professional at all it's completely amateur it comes over under like recreational sport at the moment we've now obviously got a regional contract so there's 41 girls under the england team that have now got kind of an income and a lot of them particularly around london are sort of renting and and things like that so yeah they're the ones you want to target you need to get to the regional centers on a, on a serious note, though, do you think our sort of workshop would support and help other sportswomen in, enjoy the sort of process that you've experienced? Yeah, I certainly think it would. I think the big thing that put me off buy to let to begin with is, was kind of how much I had in savings, really, how much money I had available to sort of leave in a property. Mm. And almost the minute I found out that it was nowhere near as much as I thought it was, I think would really help. And, you know, these girls might not be doing a buy to let, they might actually just be buying their first home, I think would be really useful. And I think particularly these days with, you know, house prices around Mm. in the South in particular, those kind of girls, they're desperate to just not waste money on rent. They'd love to kind of, you know, own something or part own it. And I think the knowledge is kind of power in that respect. Uh, well, this is what I was going to ask you, actually, because we, we also have a second workshop, which you've not listened to before, but um, it's actually based on buying a home. Uh, it's completely different, but it's been really popular in football that we've been delivering to over the past sort of couple of seasons. Do you think it's that's as, that sort of advice is also important to athletes like yourself? Yeah, it definitely is. It definitely is. You know, I think... You can't, it depends what kind of background you come from. I think if I, my mum isn't wasn't quite savvy with property, I could have made some quite big mistakes. In that, at first, I was really drawn to like really weird, unique properties. And mum's like, "This isn't your forever home. You've got to sell it on. You've got to make sure that other people will want to buy this, or kind of not just put your money into something that's just going to need everything doing to it and be a money pit sort of thing." So. Yeah, I think you, it is important to kind of know that before you get on the property ladder. And, and you know, particularly these days, it's really hard for people my age to actually buy a property. And there's little loopholes that can save you some money or or even ways to get you on that ladder earlier. I think it's really important just to have that education. On the workshops that we do, we actually leave these uh, viewing pads now. Uh, they're really cool, really nice, cost us an absolute fortune. But what they, what they do do is that it allows you to actually keep all the viewing detail information in one place and we've actually provided you with all the questions to ask the estate agent on the viewing when you're looking to buy this home with actually several check-in points that you can tick 
just to confirm that actually you've asked the right questions and you've got all the right information there and hopefully it'll just help athletes like yourself that you know your thing is cricket if you're going to go out and start looking for properties to buy it will just help you along that that way and avoid you making these these mistakes that we've seen for so many years i mean i've been doing these workshops for i think sort of three to four years now and i'm so pleased that you came on that day because if you hadn't have done we wouldn't have actually bought that recent investment together um you wouldn't be a landlady and and you wouldn't have maybe have seen a your savings hopefully grow over the next sort of 10 years because of it last question before i let you get off to your busy schedule tammy what would you say to any young sports person who might have some money parked in their savings account but might think about buying a property but maybe just a bit concerned of where to go and where to start i think don't be scared to look into it you know keep your options open and you know, your money's not going to make any money in the bank at the minute. So, you know, put it into something. If it's bricks and mortar, then then go for it and, and get the kind of right advice, you know, use, use you and, and people like you to to really get that education and open open your eyes to what, what could be. Thank you. Well, thank you so much for coming on the pod, Tammy. It's been an absolute privilege to have you on TalkSport and Property. Honestly, I sincerely mean that. I wish you all the best for the rest of the year. And you've got obviously an amazing 12, 18 months ahead with England. And yeah, listen, I can't thank you enough for all of your support as well. No worries. Thanks, Lee. Yeah. Cheers, Tammy. Take care. Hope to see you soon. Yeah. Bye. Bye. You've been listening to Talk Sport and Property. Visit the App Store and download the MPH Sports app today. Or keep up with us over on Instagram.